you, they see it on Facebook. Oh man, that's that's that must be true. And then you don't even try to see the other side. I think that's the most dangerous mentality that we as a as a species could have right now is that you're closed-minded and you're not even bothering to take a look behind the curtains and see, well, maybe maybe there's something that I'm missing. Like question yourself. I think that's so important. Hi, I'm Dan Crow, a small business owner living in central Illinois. And you're listening to the Vance Crow Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Today we interview Casper Pavlanskis. He is a very interesting character. He made uh, international news just the other day for his pushback on Robin Hood. And I will let you hear for yourselves exactly what his advertising campaign was. But he runs a very interesting social media advertising uh, company where they do things that are guerrilla warfare tactics out in the world that you don't even know is happening, but it actually changes the way you view things because of how they show up in social media. We had a lot to talk about because I used to be in the world of communications in this way, and we had a lot of interesting back and forth dialogue with a guy that uh, you can't meet just every day. He's a very interesting character. We're going to head to the interview in just a second, but there are two things I wanted to bring up with you. The first one is we are doing the private interviews, the ones where I sit down for an hour with a parent or a grandparent of yours and talk with them about their life story, trying to capture some of the values, some of the things that happened to them along the way that you want to make sure are preserved. One of the biggest things that people tell me after these interviews is that their parent or grandparent tells me those stories that they're prodding mom and dad to tell, but they can't ever quite get him to say it or they can't ever quite get it down. But because I'm a stranger and I'm deeply interested in what they have to say, people open up and I've been able to capture stories that have brought the people that have bought them to tears. And it is a powerful and wonderful thing that I love doing. So if you're interested and you'd like to have me interview a loved one, go to store.articulate.ventures and click on the link that asks for private interviews. The other thing I wanted to bring up is at the end of February, we are reading the book Alas Babylon for the Lindy Book Club. This book is wild, and it's one of those quick fiction reads. It almost reads like a Stephen King novel, but it's a story written in 1958 about what happens if nuclear war actually hits the shores of America and people are left over to restart civilization. It's a fascinating read, but even more than that, for book club, We're going to be meeting in virtual reality again. We have a special underground bar that I built, and uh, it's a great place to meet. So this space right now can only hold 25 people. So if you're interested in joining the Lindy Book Club and you're uh, willing to sit down and read Alas Babylon, then send me a DM on Twitter or hit me up on um, my email, vance at vancecrow.com because I'd love to reserve a spot for you. Okay, we're going to get to the interview with Casper. Enjoy. Casper Pavlanskis, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Vance. Nice to meet you. So you hit my radar because of Robin Hood. When uh, your business, after Robin Hood had uh, started locking investors out, ran a plane around with a banner on it that said, I believe, suck my nuts. Is that correct? Correct, correct. Suck my nuts, Robin Hood, the banner said. So how in the world was that a uh, savvy business move? Man, so it it was a funny story. Really, it started with just, we're always at the office. You know, we do viral marketing and kind of using memes and the internet and social media to, to put brands, messages, and voices out there and kind of create conversations. So we're doing that every day and we have our finger on the pulse. So we saw what was going on with GameStop. Everyone at the office was kind of invested lightly in GameStop, just kind of messing around. And really, it wasn't based on fundamentals. Um, For us, it's memes equal conversation. So even if there's not really solid fundamentals behind something, I know that if there's a bunch of memes getting created, that means there's a lot of conversation and there's going to be hype around it. So we all invested in GameStop. Um, Yeah, and then it kind of worked out interesting. You know, we... I had an idea of like, all right, we should try to, you know, I started seeing on Reddit, people were doing billboards and whatever. I was like, man, I feel like there's something here for us to kind of, you know, capture some attention. So, you know, I thought of the idea of flying a banner 
And at first it was going to be something really nice, like buy a GameStop stock or like something really, really nice that wouldn't have really popped up. But I knew that with Instinct, like there's something here. So then we started flushing out all these ideas of how to, how to kind of approach it. And we were going to fly the plane in San Diego, but the weather ended up being bad. And the lady that I was talking to, who's like the, uh, the broker basically between all these pilots and she finds you the pilot. She's like, you know what? I got a pilot actually in San Francisco that's pissed off at Robin hood and he'd love to fly it. I'm like, Oh, great. Perfect. Let's do that. <laughs> and we were, <laughs> we were originally just going to go around the Bay and just chill around the Bay. We're like, damn, wait a second. Like Robin hood HQ is right down South, like right there. So through, through the pilot some extra money and had them also circle around the HQ. But uh, yeah, dude, the way that we even thought of Robin hood, like one of our, you know, content guys in here just jokingly says, you know, we're talking about this banner and we're like, man, we need something a little better than just like buy GameStop. They're just too generic. Someone jokingly goes, suck my nuts, Robin hood. And everyone starts cracking up because we're all a bunch of immature kids but we all start cracking up and then like the laughter dies down and I'm like, wait a second. Like that's actually pretty good. you know. So um, yeah. And, you know, signing our name on it, it was kind of like a little double jab to the man. Cause we're like, man, we can, this is legal. We can put our message out there and make people smile, give people a voice that don't have a voice. Cause everyone's pissed off at Robin hood. And on top of that, it's a tax write off. Awesome. So, so uh, yeah, we weren't ashamed to put our name on it. And it kind of just, I think it really uh, shows like the spirit of our company. I think we're like willing to take risks. We're not really, we don't really play by the rules. You know, we're not VC funded where we have to listen to someone. And so it's just, you know, we're kind of out here having fun on the internet. And uh, I guess in a, in a non cheesy way possible, we kind of just decided to use our powers for good. Well, I mean, it was an incredible uh, branding technique because whatever money you spent on that, there's no way you would have been able to go out and buy that in advertising because you had barstool sports, you had yeah. news companies coming out there. So after that happened, what was the result in the office? Oh, man, everyone was so excited. I remember that whole weekend because all we did is really just took it, put it on Twitter. Um, you know, we sat there kind of cranking up the tweets and, and figuring out the best way to type out the tweet. And that's really, I think, the hardest part of all this, you know, viral marketing stuff that people just assume that it's like, oh, well, the idea is great and that's it. But it's so important on how you type messages out on the Internet and on specific platforms that have their own like specific little caveats, you know, like on Twitter, if you're engaging with a certain demographic, you want to purposefully misspell the, the word you and just put a letter you. So there's like small stuff like that. So it took a little bit of tinkering to, to flush out the tweet and create something that we knew was going to be easy for people to hit the retweet button on. Um, so yeah, man, it blew up and it was funny. It felt like 15 minutes of fame. It was crazy. Like we tweeted it out on Thursday, the plane flew on Friday and then it went viral on Saturday and it went viral on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, but it was funny. My two pieces of content were going viral at the same time. My, a, a screenshot of my tweet saying that I was going to do it tomorrow with no date. And then there was another screen, a picture of the banner actually going viral. So it was funny, like on Saturday and Sunday, because some people only saw my screenshot saying today at three o'clock or whatever, there was groups of people lined up like live streaming the air in San Francisco, thinking that the plane is going to happen today. So they thought it was going to happen today on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So um, that part was pretty funny, but yeah, dude, afterwards, man, we got through the whole stunt, you know, we were getting thousands of visitors to our website, a bunch of job applications, old clients hitting us up being like, Oh, no way. I saw that. Like that was you guys. Um, ended up being a great case study for us. Dude, yesterday, somehow BBC news was at our office filming like a little mini documentary. And I'm sitting here. I'm like, what the hell, dude, I flew a banner that said suck my nuts Robin hood. And all this is coming out of it. So it was totally unexpected. Um, we had a team come in here last week and, and film for like six hours or doing a whole documentary on it. Um, yeah, dude. Wall Street well, Journal interviewed because, me. You know, you're you're uh, talking about uh, hitting virality for yourself, but your whole business is actually about helping people figure out how can I play in the social media space so that I don't look like 
the you know 50 year old boomer that that has no idea what they're doing and like i realized this is me my uh we have a, a nanny she came over the other day and she was like hey i was looking at your twitter feed and like all of your comments back and forth and it's weird i didn't know people spelled correctly on twitter and i was like <laughs> Wait, what do you wait? What do you <laughs> mean? <laughs> and she was like, "Yeah, I mean, none of my friends spell anything right on Twitter." And you're talking about like a a, a woman at an advanced university, and you're like, "Oh, fuck, I'm old." <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude, it's weird, man. There's like weird little things like that on all on all platforms where it takes, you know, you gotta kind of hang around and kind of pick up the vibe and pick up like the little slang and stuff, you know. So I think millennials and gen z they can smell a boomer on social media from a mile away man you know it's just it's it's too easy They're using too many hashtags and and kind of forcing it down people's you know throats so you really have to know how to play it all correctly for it to work out so yeah that's you know that's what we do for brands and companies all the time so it was kind of fascinating and really by accident that it happened for us but you know now that i look back i'm like wow this was like the perfect case study for us and and kind of totally wraps up what we do in a, in a beautiful little package. And now I'm probably going to be known as a suck my nuts guy. Which... <laughs> the price you pay for fame. <laughs> the so price as, as for a fame. person that's, um, you know, done gone viral, I think one of the challenges with it is it's not unlike a drug, right? Where all of a sudden you have this huge explosion on your social media. Like every time you look down on it, you're getting that, love and that affirmation that you've done something right Mm -hmm. yeah do you feel like uh the next hit when it's not that big is are you gonna be like uh jonesing for a for a bigger hit probably man i really didn't expect it to affect me as much as i as it you know it did because it's weird working in social media for as many years as i have i've kind of started to hate social media in a weird way. Like I deleted my Instagram. I don't use Instagram whatsoever. I don't post anything personal anymore, anywhere. I don't use Snapchat, nothing. I've seen how social media affects my younger sister and I hated it and how it affects society and younger people and how it just, I feel like it really fucks with your mental, especially if you're not you know, strong mentally. So, I mean, I'll admit, dude, when I was going viral, I was fucking refreshing my phone every two minutes. I'm waiting for that barstool retweet. I'm, I'm waiting for someone to comment something and you're reading everything. And dude, I was obsessed all weekend. I was obsessed. My girlfriend would, I would go to breakfast with her and I'm just, she was pissed off for all weekend. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think this definitely set the bar for us in terms of like, you know, a viral stunt that we put our name on it. And we've had a couple people ask us during interviews, like, are you guys going to do something again? And it's kind of like this odd, you know, you kind of feel like you have to do something again, but once you have to follow up, you know that people are going to be judging you based on your last thing. So it definitely, I think, gets to your head. And, um, but I don't know, at the same time, I kind of look at business almost like a sport. And I think that, athletes have to go through similar things and and i think that mamba killer mentality you know no matter if you're in a sport or business it's kind of you have to have a little bit of that to kind of persevere and push through so i don't know man i think if if the next idea comes up i'm just gonna fucking execute it if it doesn't work you know shooters keep shooting it is what it is but i'd be lying to you if i said that the next time i'm not gonna be like man did it do better than than the suck my nuts thing the suck my nuts thing was just so perfect that I don't know. It's going to be tough. <laughs> so uh, why Instagram? Uh, did you, why did you leave that one of all things? Like you're still on Twitter. Yeah. Instagram, because Instagram to me is the fakest platform to me. Instagram is just highlights only. You're only showing the highlights of your life. Everything's filtered on there. You don't know what's real, what's fake. You know, there's not really like conversation happening on, on Instagram. Um, and I feel like Instagram just, I don't know, man. I looked at, I've had a lot of success since I was, you know, probably like 18 or 19 years old. And I'll see some of these people that are, you know, my age and they make a little bit of money and everyone immediately is flexing. They're showing their Rolexes. And I, I did that for like, probably like six months. And I started, I don't know, man, it just wasn't fulfilling to me. I just didn't, it didn't feel like me personally and I didn't feel right doing it. It just felt weird. And yeah, man, I don't know. I just didn't want to, I didn't really want to participate in that. 
So Twitter, I like because Twitter is more about conversations and you can, you can engage with interesting people. I can follow you and I can learn about this. I can learn about that. I can, you know, I can have a conversation on one specific topic and I can read all about that topic. So yeah, I think, I think Twitter is just kind of more my style and more about learning. And I feel like I can get more value out of, out of Twitter. And I feel like Instagram is more for, for my ego and to, to feed, you know, this, I don't know, this monster. I don't want to yeah, be a part I mean, of it. Instagram for me is like a visual drug, right? Because like when you go to that like explore thing, it's just going to show you what you slowed down on, you know? So as you're scrolling, even you don't even have to push a button. Just the fact mm-hmm. that like something stopped the doom scrolling, they're going to show that to you and they're going to keep trying. And you find out like, all of a sudden you're heading down these like weird paths where you're like, uh, I don't think one, I should be looking at this. And two, yeah, yeah. I really wouldn't want anybody to like to know that what looking. was in this thing <laughs> because like, you know, this is just like, it's, it like is, it's like the path to hell. It's like the, mm-hmm. Hey, that felt good. I want to look at that again. I want to look at that again. And it's definitely doing something weird to your brain. So like, I never really participated in Instagram. Like maybe every once in a while I'd throw up a picture but i'm 100 percent with you like i have virtually no interest at all in instagram no i think i can oddly enough i can kind of tell a little bit by just how you are it just seems like a very big vanity play like instagram is just about vanity and ego you know i think and uh yeah so you uh the, the suck my nuts thing is for you guys but you've done other campaigns. The one that I found uh kind of interesting when I was looking into your background was Billy's Donuts. That seemed oh. to be like a story worth telling. So talk about Billy's Donuts and what you guys did for their um for their launch. Okay, so um actually Billy's Donuts wasn't us. I think you might have gotten that from me retweeting or tweeting about Billy's Donuts. So what I'm always doing is I'm I'm always looking at social media and to me it's just amazing how certain stuff organically goes viral. So in the terms of Billy's Donuts for the viewers at home it was basically a a donut shop, I forgot where they were that was going out of business. The the son of the owner tweeted something out like my dad needs help with his shop and the tweet went absolutely bonkers and it was something like my dad's really sad nobody showed up for our grand opening yeah. and it really was it was like the saddest <laughs> sad. photo in the whole he world. looked sad yeah and and i you know actually i want to get back to that sad part right after this but yeah that tweet went viral the guy's donut shop's doing great and i remember seeing that and i'm like oh my gosh man like this just the kid tweeted something out on social media and now his whole family's, I mean, it went from going like this. Now their sales are skyrocketing. And to me, that's the interesting part about social media, because if that can happen organically, I've always thought like, man, how much would brands pay for that? I'm not saying Billy's donuts, but imagine if Dunkin' Donuts, you offered that type of virality, Dunkin' Donuts would pay millions of dollars for that. So I've always wanted to, I've always studied those organic viral moments. And I try to, you know, figure out like what made that thing viral. So when I tweeted about Billy's donuts, I remember it was, it was something like, you know, we spent like a week looking through that and really analyzing it, seeing who retweeted it, where did the source come from, what kind of emotions were pulled out of it and et cetera. So yeah, um, you know, Billy's donuts, donuts was one of many organic viral things that I saw online and that I have to kind of figure out, like, what the hell happened here? And you kind of nailed it. Like, it was sad. And that's the biggest thing to, you know, that I've learned about virality is, you know, whether you're doing it for a brand, a product, an app, whatever it is, or Robinhood, you have to look at the underlying feelings that are going to get people to engage with that content. So in terms of Robin Hood, people are pissed off and they're pissed off at Robin Hood. In terms of the donuts, my dad's sad and people have a very very big soft spot for that, especially if there's an image attached to it and you can kind of see his face and you feel a little personal connection, like you know the guy now. So yeah, man, I'm not going to take credit for the Billy's Donuts thing. I wish I made that go viral, but I did. Well, take credit for something. Like, tell me more about projects that nowadays is, uh, is proud you show when somebody's looking into hiring you guys for viral campaigns. Yeah, so our biggest thing is definitely the thing that I hang my hat on the most is TikTok. 
um, we started working with TikTok right when they bought Musical.ly. So ByteDance is the parent company of TikTok and an app called Musical.ly used to exist where it was literally just for teenagers to do lip syncing videos. And they were known as just kind of a cringy app that just strictly lip syncing. Um, ByteDance had a, a version of Musical.ly that was for, for Chinese. So it was called TikTok. Um, they wanted to expand into the U.S. market, so they bought Musical.ly and combined forces. We saw that they bought Musical.ly, and we knew that they were, you know, a, a company that didn't really understand Western culture and how to penetrate that. So we we reached out to them, and man, we we ran we advertised their first ever filter. It was like a water reflection filter, and that was our first step off the ground on on kind of working with them. And man, that relationship, you know, it's still going to this day. But basically. We've delivered them something over 350 million views on platforms outside of, of, of uh, TikTok. So what we did for them was basically, you know, they were really cringy when they came out and they needed to establish some type of uh, cultural relevance. You know, it's, it's kind of that you have enough money to put ads everywhere, but just because you have ads everywhere doesn't mean that people are going to love you. So for example, Quibi, I think most people have heard of Quibi because it was it was a short form app and they had millions of dollars of investment and they had all these amazing people on their board and everyone saw their ad on TV or wherever, but it totally flopped because they couldn't become part of pop culture. So that's kind of the predicament that TikTok was in when they came out. So what we started doing is we would go and look through all the TikTok videos that we can. I mean, we've looked through thousands. We pick out the needle in the haystack of good content that we know is going to hit on Western culture that American people are going to find funny. And we download that content off of TikTok, put it onto Twitter or Instagram, and we would make those videos go viral on those specific platforms. So eventually what started happening is you know, if you imagine you're someone on Twitter, you're scrolling through your timeline and once a day you see a funny video that has a TikTok watermark on the bottom that has millions of views and you think it's hilarious. And every day you just keep on seeing a TikTok video. Eventually your brain goes, okay, man, maybe TikTok's actually not that bad. Like maybe it's not that cringy like I thought it was. I'm going to go download it. I keep on seeing hilarious videos from TikTok. Let me go install it. And, you know, we kind of, on our website, we have something trademark called, called social scripting. So that's essentially like herding people into a specific conversation. So for TikTok in the beginning, it started off as, you know, wanting to get rid of that cringe uh, message around TikTok. So we would post these videos and have the caption be something like, man, I didn't know TikTok was actually this cool. So then people watch the video, they see my caption, they think, oh, wow, that guy's actually kind of right. TikTok is a little bit cool. And it just constantly repetitively doing that. So, you know, that was kind of the start of our relationship with TikTok. And dude, I'll be honest, that was like for about a year and a half, I kind of learned a business lesson too. I strictly only focused on TikTok as a client. And, you know, have I had I been a little bit older and with more experience, I probably would have been building out a separate team on the side to kind of be working on other stuff outside of TikTok, but they were just spending so much money that we were just balls in on TikTok. So we did so many cool things for them, man. Like they did a, a concert with The Weeknd that performed live on the TikTok app and they call us and this is about, you know, a year and a half into our relationship. So they kind of already know how we work and, and how, to, how to work with us. So they call us and like, look, we want to make this, we want to create some buzz around this, this concert that's coming out but we can't use PR. I can't really, you know, use traditional methods to market this. So they sent us a little 15 second clip of this concert, like a little sneak peek. We edited it and we put on the top, we had, uh, you know, like a timestamp that ran from zero to 15 seconds. And on the bottom, we had all these little colored squares that made it look like we're, it's still like raw footage that we're editing. And then we came up with this elaborate idea to say that, um, someone at TikTok got hacked. We got this leaked footage of this, this concert. And then we went to a couple of big Instagram accounts that have like millions of followers that talk about rap and hip hop, et cetera. And we had them exclusively leak this concert that the weekend is going to do on TikTok. And then we amplified the shit out of that. And basically, I mean, that was a really fun one because it organically kind of started going wild and all the weekend fans picked it up and shared it across their Facebook groups and on Reddit, et cetera. But it was really a, a fabricated thing. So, 
that was a nice one. So it's interesting, right? Like if you go look up the the definition of propaganda, it is not like it necessarily has to be nefarious content. It just has to be content that you are intentionally showing people again and again and again until they get the sense that this is what everyone else believes. You must have a deep insight into the world of modern day propaganda in terms of like how it shapes uh, the culture's understanding of the world. What do you like when you looked at the election? What did you see that other people didn't see? I saw that, you know, I was every time I think because of my career, I take everything on the Internet with 10 grains of salt. Like, I don't know if it's real or not. And during the election, I was like, man, you know, are these memes about Biden created by someone that's paid off by by Trump? Or all these are these Trump memes paid off by someone on Biden's team? Like you never know. I, I feel like just on the internet, you know, I'm just scared of everything. To me, just seems fake. Like I just don't know if anything is real. You know, and that goes from uh, my sister seeing some models on Instagram that look like they're super sexy and have big tits and they're chilling in Bali, but really everything's photoshopped and there's just a green screen behind them, but no one else knows all the way into, you know, memes that are getting shared about the election. So yeah, to me, man, just the internet is an awesome, beautiful place, but it's also created this weird thing where people just take everything at face value. And I think we saw a lot of that during these elections where a lot of people would just be like, yeah, I saw that on Facebook. And it's like, man, do you understand that there's thousands of companies on Facebook that just create random shit just to get clicks? And it doesn't have to be any, I mean, it just, it could be total bullshit and they can write a nice tagline headline throw it out there and it oddly enough you know i was talking to uh we had bbc here yesterday and we were talking about this and it was like it's almost oddly enough like the older generation that really falls for it a lot easier because they're used to taking media at face value like back in their day there's one channel everyone gets the same news and it's you know facts are facts and especially if there's like a decent production value behind it it's just they eat it right up. So, you know, I, I think and that's kind of, I think, you know, going to show like at this um, the Capitol riots, I don't think you saw many younger kids there. I think you saw a lot of older people there. And it just, you know, I'm not generalizing totally, but it does feel like older people are more, uh, you know, they're easier, I guess, to trick and they're they're they're. You know, that's like that is a very interesting observation, right? Because most of the people, when they're looking around at the world, they're saying, oh, the reason we're going to hell in a handbasket is because all these young people are, you know, they need their safe spaces and they're they're uh, getting so upset about the most minor things. But I've never heard anybody say, well, we've got a problem. And that's that the old people are so gullible because they'll believe anything they put you put on the, the radar screen in front of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I have this one meme that I love. It's like it's like a picture of uh, Abraham Lincoln and I'm like some stupid quote that's obviously not by Abraham Lincoln. And it's like that's the perfect example. Like as long as there's decent editing and you have a picture or a video and some text over a picture and a video, boomers take it for facts and face value. They don't even fact check it. They don't go and Google it, nothing. And yeah, I think in terms of that, like Facebook is 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 dangerous because – I think when you're younger and you grow up with the internet, you kind of start to learn, you know, to to keep an eye on certain stuff and, and you know, maybe fact check it or kind of you kind of have a, a better feeling for it because you're so around it. But, yeah, I think for the older generation, it's hard, you know, and it makes sense like they're not they're not used to this type of media. So. Well, so, uh, you know, one of the books that I read, so I used to work for Monsanto and I was the director of millennial engagement. So my job was to represent, you know, one of the most hated companies in the world (laughs) and saying like, how do you get people to stop what they already believe just to give you enough time to be able to say anything that would uh, alter their opinion about things. And so this gave me a very like hypothetical understanding of the world, as well as like a very pragmatic, practical standing up in front of people that have been told you represent evil. And one of the experiences that I had was, um, was, uh, generating outrage, right? Like you can find people that will agree with you. You can point somebody out and you can generate that energy. And once I saw, once I actually felt how you could do that, 
man, it, it felt like a, like a villain's uh, superpower that's incredibly dangerous, right? Because yes, you can do that. And yes, you can vanquish your enemies for a little while. But then you, you've put this darkness into the world that eventually comes for you. The mob always comes for you. Do you feel yeah. that way as well? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it, there's, it's, how do I, it's interesting because you have this power and, and people are, I guess, are greedy, you know, just selfish and that's just how it is. So, yeah, I think you use this power and you kind of don't fully think through what's going to happen at the end of it and you just want the immediate quick results. So, yeah, I mean, like, I think that in five years, there's going to be a lot of people that were involved in this previous election and with memes and influencing and swaying stuff. It's going to catch up to people and, you know, they're going to, there's going to be a price to pay, but it's also, I think right now people are more okay with doing it because it's so, it's so new that there's really not rules set for it yet. There's no like crazy repercussions for it. Yeah. Like there's no one's really been made an example out of this stuff. So Oh, I definitely think people have been made an example. I mean, like, yeah. so I actually, the thing that really shocked me was I read uh, Ryan Holiday's book, uh, Trust Me, I'm Lying. Oh, I love that book. I read that in Mexico Holy a couple years shit. ago. Yeah, I that's what I think book. of with you and, and to some extent my background. Like, you read that book and, like, you get to the last couple of pages and you're like, this thing's a little bit radioactive because this is foretelling the future that happens if yeah. I continue to use the evil dark power. And I remember being in the airport when I was finishing reading this book being like, should I throw this away? Cause I don't want people to know the superpower or should I give it to people? Like, I don't know what to do with this book. Yeah. And I mean, it's all, it's all part of the cargo, right? Like in that book, the journalists, they just want a story cause they just want clicks. So then if you're Ryan holiday, you can feed them some story that pushes your narrative. And it just, it's like a self, you know, feeding machine monster that just needs to kept, kept getting fed. So yeah, that book was so interesting, man. I, I read that too. And I was like, wow, it kind of went more into my belief of, I'm not a conspiracy theorist guy. I don't listen or read conspiracy theories, but I don't know. It just made me even more be like, man, is everything a lie? Like the stuff that you read, is it really, is it that, or is it someone behind the door that needed that article to go out for some specific reason? So it's kind of scary, but you don't know what's going to happen with it. You know, like, where is this going to end up in 10 years? Like, I, really I agree a hundred percent. Like uh, the, so the experience for me, just going to Monsanto. So when I interviewed for, to work at Monsanto, like I imagine if you know anything at all about Monsanto, you're like, man, that place is North Korea. <laughs> Why the fuck would you go work there? But I, the only reason I took the job interview is because I was like, I'm going to be able to write a sweet blog about going and visiting North Korea. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> And then I got in there and I did this interview. And when I got done, I realized, wait a second, if you get this job, if they give it to you, then you get to run around and find out if they're as evil as everybody says that they are, you can go write the greatest tell-all book of all time. But if you're wrong, well, then that's actually the greatest like mind loop you've ever gone through in your life because you went from thinking these people are pure evil and they're not from what I see so why is it before I came in here that I deeply believed with everything that I had that they were? And that's when you start saying like, what other things do I know with 100% certainty like I did with this about the rest of the world? And I don't think my view has ever come back from that about like how wrong I was before I walked in for that job interview. So you would say that it, your your mindset changed, obviously, after you got that job. You don't think that it's like, oh, 180 yeah. degrees. I mean, like I realized really how vapidly thin my understanding was. I was like, my understanding of Monsanto was they sue farm. I mean, I went in and did the interview and like it was seven hours of interview. So the whole time I just, if you, the best job interview you will ever do is a job you don't want because you say whatever you want. Right. So <laughs> I'm sitting there being like, uh, yeah, so why are you suing farmers to death? Oh, why are you spreading chemicals that are killing everyone? But I had never actually been in a position to hear the other perspective. I had watched documentaries where they kind of showed the other perspective. But they but don't they, want to. They still have an agenda, obviously. Yeah, and so that was when you start realizing, like, wait a second, are all of these documentaries bullshit? And by the way, they all are. Every single one of them, all of them are. People tell me they, they watch documentaries instead of reading books, and I'm like... That's the dumbest thing I've ever books, heard. Man. <laughs>
Yeah, dude, it's it's really like that now. And people people just, you know, they'll read something. You, they see it on Facebook. Oh man, that's that's that must be true. And then you don't even try to see the other side. I think that's the most dangerous mentality that we as a as a species could have right now is that you're closed-minded and you're not even bothering to take a look behind the curtains and see, well, maybe maybe there's something that I'm missing. Like question yourself. I think that's so important to to constantly be asking why. Do, do I fully believe this? Why did like constantly questioning stuff? And I don't feel like enough people do that. They, you know, especially these people on Facebook, you just see it, you see a headline, you know, I, I know people that will come up to me, say that they saw something or I'll see them share something on, on Facebook. I'll read the actual article and be like, Hey, did you know that that article was about that? No. What do you mean? I, I find out that they didn't even read the fucking article. They just shared it on Facebook. And I think that's dangerous. Like, you know, I think we should, like your experience, like we should try to look at the other side and then we can form our whole opinion. But it's interesting thinking like with this thing, like, all right, maybe they're Monsanto's competitors or something started this smear campaign or I don't oh, know. 100%, man. People yeah. don't even, I'll, I'll, I'll blow your mind. So when uh, when um, Roundup came out, so Roundup is is actually a really innocuous chemical. People in the state of California believe it causes cancer. But if we were to actually go look at the chemical structure and I have sat down and had people draw it out and show how it works when water hits it and how it breaks apart, just assume for one second that I'm correct. Roundup is is relatively safe. When they started doing that, now, all of a sudden, the way that you tackle weeds out in your field radically changes. So instead of going out and taking a steel spike that you have to slam into the ground and drag all the way across your field with a giant tractor that requires diesel and huge engines and that steel that has to be replaced, now you've put on a chemical that you can drive over the field and just it, they, the, the weeds just die. Well, who does this hurt? Well, it hurts everybody making steel plows, everybody making giant engines. And it doesn't just like kind of hurt their bottom line. It radically changes the entire way that the agricultural system in the Western world works. So there is now billions of dollars at stake. And so they start playing the game where they say, well, it's not us, but we did happen to fund a group of people that really hate yeah. your way of doing things. And so you're playing this mimetic warfare. And I think that's why I'm so interested in what you do, because I got to see mimetic warfare from um, after the cities have been bombed, right? Like after you've had a, a company be completely annihilated by the meme war and try and like come back. It was, yeah. it was an interesting place to be in Dresden after the firebombing or something. You know what's interesting to me too is that like, I think this has been going on, this warfare, for so goddamn long. We've always been doing it. It's just now what happens on the internet. Like, as soon as you started talking about that story with the weeds, I started thinking about how, how weed got, how weed became illegal. I don't know the exact details of it, but I know that it's what they, the tree farmer guys hated that hemp was going to be replacing trees. So they lobby and petition and basically just get rid of the whole weed plant even though it was hemp that they were worried about so it's like even before the internet this type of stuff was always going on i feel like now the internet just made made it easier to spread those messages and it made the warfare even more intense but really as as a society we've been doing shit like this since the beginning you know oh yeah there's no doubt if you um so in Springfield, Illinois, there's the Abraham Lincoln Museum. And you go to that and you think, well, this is going to be kind of boring. Like, what are they going to show me? But they have this hall that you can go through. And it's all the political comics about Abraham Lincoln while he was president, before he was shot. And you see that the newspapers were every bit as vitriolic back in that time in the 1800s than they are right now. Like, they were vicious about the way he looked, about the way he sounded, about the words he was using. They hated him. And you realize, like... We didn't leave some golden age of the newspapers behind. People were printing newspapers and selling them at maybe at cost because they were trying to get their ideas propagated. It was more valuable for them to have their ideas replicated than it was for them to uh, to to you know spread the news and let people pay for it. Yeah, no, exactly. The only thing that really changes the medium that that propaganda or that message gets put out on, you know. So, and I think now it's just more dangerous, right? Like. There used to just be newspapers, but now there's a million places to get 
your uh, news. You know, now I can go to, and it's so, I think it's also, you know, kind of a little bit of an issue because like you were saying earlier, I can believe the craziest shit and I can find someone on the internet that's going to be like, yep, that's right, man. Like totally agree with my point. And if I want to seek people out like that, that fit my narrative, I can totally find those people on the internet. So I think, you know, I don't know how it's going to unfold, but that has to, that's, that's, I don't know. To me, it sounds like a ticking time bomb or like something is gonna, I don't know. It just doesn't sound good on paper that, you can, but it's like, how do you stop it? The fucking genie's out of the bottle. Like, what are you going to do now? Like, yeah, I mean, and that's the question, right? Because, um, you know, you can, you can imagine any one person leaving the game doesn't actually stop the problem. But, you know, you like, so how does, how do you feel like as you're going forward and you're thinking maybe not about the next five years or 10 years while you're still cool, but eventually you will be the age of the boomers or eventually, how do you, how do you predict that you will both maintain relevance and sanity along the way? If you keep, if you stay in your business, I don't know, man. I I, I don't know. (laughs) I really don't know. I'm hoping that I'm hoping that at least my, uh, you know, my life events and stuff will at least teach me on how to handle that better when it, when it comes, you know, time for me to kind of, kind of hang up the cleats and, and, and live in that society. But yeah, dude, I know that eventually, right. We're all going to be the, we're all going to be these boomers that we talk and laugh about. There's just the cycle of life. And it's like, and even now I'm looking at the generation before, you know, younger than me, I'm like, God, you fucking kids are idiots. Like with the Instagrams <laughs> and the selfies and the TikTok dances. So I can already sense like, you know, you get older and it's like, okay, now I see that this just happens with every generation that you think the generation after you is kind of, so, man, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I've kind of learned to, I, I've tried to predict the internet a bunch of times and now I just don't even try to predict anymore because it's, it's unpredictable from what I gather. Like, I don't know. We'll see, man. I think there's going to be a lot of fucking crazy people in 15, 20 years. It's going to be even worse than it is now health mental health crisis is just going to keep on increasing so i don't know i think i'm just going to keep meditating keep using a life coach and 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 try to do yoga or something yeah so let's talk about uh your community where where do you live and and how do you participate in your community now in the midst of coronavirus and weird social media yeah so i'm originally from chicago and uh i moved there when i was five from lithuania and from chicago i moved to long beach about two years ago, stayed in Long Beach for six months. We just wanted to be closer to the TikTok office and then decided to move to San Diego just because the quality of life is so much better. So I moved to San Diego just actually about a year ago. Um, we have our offices in Little Italy, which is a really cool, vibrant neighborhood, you know, just a lot of bars, restaurants, very creative. Like it kind of matches this office, like super just cool, creative vibes and feels. Um, and then I have a house in South Park, uh, San Diego. So, yeah, it's been kind of interesting, man. I, I moved here right when all the lockdowns happened. So I haven't really gotten a chance to to make like a bunch of friends or go to gatherings or bars or whatever. So it's tough, man. Like I haven't been – I think the most involved in my community is I know the guy who owns the liquor store by my house. And I, <laughs> <laughs> and I know like the, the, the little, you know, food truck people that work – work in that same parking lot and I see him all the time and I say hi to him, but that's pretty much, that's pretty much the extent of that right now. I don't know. I go to the dog park, see people that I know there, but yeah, it's been a little tough right now, man. I think, you know, I'm not alone. I'm definitely not alone. It just, you know, it, it's, it's tough. Like I wish I would have moved a little bit before Corona so I could at least establish like a friend group or something, but fuck man, it's been hard, you know, especially when you don't have a job that, you know, mixes like you with corporate. other people yeah exactly yeah you know or i'm I'm not in school here so it's tough i didn't realize how tough it was to make friends as an adult if you don't have kids and if you don't work a conventional job yeah i um i, I did a bunch of different jobs but the hardest job the most lonely i ever was including living in like africa was uh cool. when i bought a house and renovated it in denver colorado and it was there that i realized that no matter how outgoing you are, no matter like how um, how much you like being around people, you need some mechanism 
to bring you into the fold. You need something that says, hey, my family is having a family gathering, come do this, or our neighborhood's getting together. And without the on-ramp, it, you you just you can walk past people having parties. You can go past bars where things are going on, but you don't have an on-ramp to it. And I remember uh, really learning quite deeply that loneliness is not actually um, the sadness of being alone. It's the fear that it will go on indefinitely. And that was the thing that was really hard for me. So when I'm when I'm imagining. Uh, like your position, that would be really, really tough for me to re-enter that because you'd be like, I don't know when I'm going to get to find an on-ramp or when I'm going to get to be able to be around people in the future. Yeah, no, that's a good point. You know, I, I don't know. I guess I try to have a, a positive mindset on it. Honestly, it's 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 a lot easier when you're really busy. And I, I have an awesome, beautiful girlfriend that, I, you know, I, I've been dating for a while. So I think without her, I probably would have <laughs> been way lonelier. Um, but I don't know. I think I think once stuff starts, stuff slowly opening up here. So, but yeah, I think is California so right. like when I to hear it. to hear on the news or to hear on like Joe Rogan and all these things? Like people are jumping ship. There's nobody left in California. I feel like the continent may flip over because it's just so like. Is it really that way? Are people really leaving Dude, so quickly? I don't know. I feel the same kind of worry because I just bought a house here a year ago, and then I'm reading <laughs> Twitter, and Elon Musk is leaving. This person's leaving. But then my house value is going up. The market's super hot. There's no homes for sale anywhere. A home gets put on the market. It's sold within a couple of days. I don't know. You know, I, what I'm learning too is, is especially with this like Wall Street bets thing and this Reddit thing that just happened, the internet is an echo chamber. And you only, you have to be really careful to not get sucked into opinions and mindsets of the people that are talking. So when you see, you know, the people that are moving California, they're fucking screaming from the mountaintops because they're pissed off and they have a business here, Elon Musk, whoever, and they're tired of the income tax and they're fucking letting everyone know about it. But the people that are staying, they're not on the internet saying, I'm fucking staying here. Like I'm not going. So <laughs> you kind of end up in this echo chamber where like, oh my God, everyone's moving to Cal, everyone's leaving. So it's, and you know, it's a really, that's the internet. It just, you have to be, you have to step back a lot of times and think like, okay, is this problem actually way smaller than it seems? I don't know. So I see where I'm, you're coming from. You I had that same worry. You know, I'm I had that you. same worry. I'm with you completely on that. Like that's actually the biggest benefit of the podcast is that um, I've been able to ask people like, hey, man, I hear this thing is going on in California, for example. And then you get to hear these other opinions. And in fact, I oftentimes try to take whatever everybody knows is true and find the person that's willing to be like, no, I don't agree with that at all. Like right now I am I am trying very hard to find somebody that uh, does coal mining. Because I like I'm I, like if you try and think about like what is the cultural thing that everybody agrees nobody wants it's coal but there's a lot of people that need energy so I want to find somebody that's willing to be like look you've been misled about coal or this is what you don't understand about it because right now could you do you know anybody that supports coal no no I don't but I'm sure there's like a little pocket of people somewhere on the internet that exists that support coal. <laughs> yeah, I actually probably my listeners will let me know about that. So <laughs> yeah. one of my favorite questions to ask people that um, and I don't ask everybody, you got to be able to get up on the on the wave and surf a little bit on the edge of chaos is what I call the Peter Thiel paradox. And the Peter Thiel paradox is what is one thing that you think is true that almost no one agrees with you on. And the reason it's a paradox is that if you say something people already agree with, you failed. And if you say something that people don't agree with, now you've got to talk your way out of this. So what do you think? Uh, What's your Peter Thiel paradox? So something that I believe is true that no one else believes is true. You're putting me on the spot here. Let me see. You're the guy that put suck my nuts up on a on an airplane banner. So I'm I'm quite confident that you believe things that other people don't. Hmm. Trying to think of a way to frame it here. I believe that People are putting on a 
everyone I'm trying to think of how to how to say this the right way, but basically I think we're all living in a fucking fairy tale where we everyone thinks they're everyone thinks they're kind of put on this ah man see i can't figure out how to really dissect this idea but i've been thinking about it for the last couple of days where people will basically come into the office and they're saying like you know i wish i could be like this or i wish i could be like that and there's this you know or, or how things should operate and work um and like our business, for example, is totally not corporate. I swear, I put suck my nuts Robin Hood on banners. And a lot of people think that that's what that's impossible. How can you run a real fucking business when you put suck my nuts on Robin Hood on a banner? So I don't think I'm really answering your question that right, but it's okay. It's like I, I, this, it's a, it's one of those questions. It's a tough that, one, dude. Yeah. Yeah, and it's I a think because either you got to pull yourself out of it or you got to defend it too. <laughs> right, and I think that one of the challenges is if you're the type of person that's actually really persuasive, you don't think in terms of what is it that people will disagree with. You think about things and frame them. So, so sometimes you have things that people would disagree with, but you would frame it in such a way that they would come to the conclusion that you've already David. reached. So sometimes it's hard to backwards walk those out. But I think it's an interesting thing because it often tests how deep is your gravity well? And since you've been talking about like the echo chambers and, and you like successfully getting out of it, at least in, in like the Instagrams and things like that, I think you're a good person to ask because those are the people that have uh, ideas that are, that are not, they're not received wisdom. They're earned wisdom. Yeah. I mean, my, my first answer was going to be something related to that, but I kind of felt like it was a little bit of a cop out just because we've been talking about it. But yeah, I mean, if I really quick, I would say that, my thing that I believe that other people don't believe is that every most stuff on the internet is fucking fake and it's manipulated. And it's so I guess some people would argue against that. Um, no, I, I think and your boomer concept was exactly right too. Like your idea about like, Hey, you, everybody thinks it's the young people that are ruining it, but it may just be that the older people have not adapted to this new technology yet. That's interesting. Like, you know, I kind of just, I haven't, I've, I've thought that, but I haven't really communicated that out loud until just now. And I'm like, damn, that is kind of an interesting idea. Like, cause I feel like millennials and Gen Z, they always get flack for, from, you know, older people. And yeah, this is kind of an uncommon belief, right? Where I'm like flipping the script and it's like, cause honestly, I, I really do believe that a lot of these people that are screaming fake news and fucking sharing dumb shit on Facebook, it's older people. My uh, my latest Peter Thiel paradox or my Peter Thiel answer is I think religion is coming back in a big, big way. And I really? think it will be I think it will be uh, stone churches with all sorts of uh, iconoclastic, uh, uh, like um, very deep in religious symbolism, because I think that the speed with which things have been changing is so deeply unsettling to people that eventually they hit a point where they say, I am either going to give myself over to nihilism, which ultimately leads to just depression, or I'm going to knowingly go towards something I don't believe, but the structure itself will make me feel like I'm headed towards meaning. And I think that right now there's this huge um, meaning debt that people need to pay. And, and I think that religion in the past has been the one uh, that's given it to them. I don't know that religion will look the same as it did in the past, but I think that we're going to see a massive resurgence of religion. Wow. So that's interesting. Cause at first, when you first started talking, I was like, no, I don't, I don't agree with you. Like, I don't think that religion is going to, is going to come back. Cause I don't know. I'm seeing it, you know, at least in my demographic, like people just don't, you know, Christianity is, is all these religions are kind of going, going down a little bit. But then once you said that point of like, people need meaning of why. And, and when you think, you know, I'm kind of under the impression this might offend some people, but of, you know, religion was created to kind of tell people why, why is it raining? Well, cause God, you know, like, why is the sun not shining today? Cause of that. And kind of a, it's almost like a, a guidebook for human life. So when you said that, I was like, wow, okay, I can totally see where you're coming from with people needing to why, what's going on and searching for meaning, but not searching for meaning about why it's raining, because we know that, but totally different meanings, you know? So yeah, with that basis, actually, 
I kind of see where you're coming from. Uh, I'm not religious myself, but I don't know. I've always thought of, of sometimes to me, you know, I grew up actually, I got my first communion. I went to private school. I did all that. And then I don't know. I just, some, some parts of religion to me felt like a little bit of not a cop out, but kind of, I hate thinking that my destiny is in someone else's hands and I love to create my own destiny. I love to prove people wrong. I, if I failed, I want to believe that it's because of me. If I succeeded, I want to believe that it's because of me. And I don't believe that luck is a real thing. I think you create your own luck. So I've always had this weird relationship with, with religion where like my grandma was super religious. I had to pray every time before eating dinner at her house and stuff. And I don't know, I just started questioning it, you know, just, so uh, that's a tough one. I feel like I might yeah, get I think, canceled for I think that. that the, the, uh, I, I'm in the same boat, man. I mean, like in a lot of ways, religion is broken. And in the past, we didn't have a way to look at the hypocrisy of the larger system and say, ah, I'm going to throw that out. Because if you threw out the larger system, you were dropped from your community. You were dropped from the social ethnic, you know, situation. But since it has fallen away, you know, starting with the age of the enlightenment on, on down, people were able to like throw those things out. But what I think we're eventually finding is, okay, let's say you loose yourself from all the binds that hold you back with religion, the things that it tells you to do that we know, ah, you can do this. You're not going to be struck dead by God or Thor or anybody else. Do you still have the problem of I'm suffering and I don't know how to make the suffering something I'm willing to endure unless I have a larger purpose? And I think that that's one of those things that when we think about religion coming back, it's probably like, cause I don't know if you grew up and you did first communion in Catholicism, like Catholics are not going to be able to go to the Fisher price, like, um, new age Christian churches. You're going to look around. You're gonna be like, this looks like Fisher price to me. This does not seem like you, you guys are going to get in trouble. You're playing pretend and you're not supposed to do this. But I also think the idea that you're going to be able to take the Western priest that is generally way aged out. I think a lot of the people that used to go into the priesthood, people that um, I think before we had the openness of uh, people saying, hey, you can be gay and be in our popular culture and it's fine and you can get married and you can be accepted. I think in the past, those people knew they would be rejected from society. So they mm -hmm. went towards the, the priesthood. They found a place where they could live a celibate life, be safe. Um, and now you don't have that. And so you don't have the group of people that were fundamental in making the Catholic church stay young and fresh and vibrant. That's all gone now. So I think religion will be something different. It may incorporate stoicism. It may incorporate mythology, like Greek mythology or Roman mythology. But I was just going to ask you, like, how do you think it's going to, you know, come into play? Because I feel like a lot of this stuff, like, you know, Christianity, so old and then people kind of i'm seeing like at least people that i know they pick and choose which parts they like about it you know like so oftentimes like well i'm i'm a christian but i still have sex with my girlfriend like it's fine it, it, things of that nature where it's like you kind of pick and choose which parts you like and which parts you don't like and i'm just really curious like you know in 50 100 years what are we going to base you know, there's got to be a, a, a template that we follow from thousands of years ago. So I'm, I'm super curious how it's going to unfold. Cause yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be looking for, they're going to need something like you said, to, to believe in and kind of get them through a lot of the tough times. And I mean, you're right though. Maybe it ends up being something that we don't even, you and I can't even put our finger on it right now. Like maybe it's some, some club or something like a, that talks about, you know, it's, who knows. Yeah, I think, you know, you you said it when you were talking about, you know, your mother was your grandmother was religious and you had to pray. So you actually got pulled into that culture. You know, Bible stories, right? You know yeah. what maybe 20 generations from now will view the same way that we view Greek mythology. You have those stories. The question becomes, will you if you have children? find value in teaching them Bible stories, despite the fact that you don't think there's divinity in those stories, because it's not ordained by God necessarily, but those mythological stories all have a lesson in them or probably exactly. multiple lessons in them. So I think that it, it probably will have to be somewhere along the lines of 
which stories are we going to tell? Because everybody's religious. You just maybe don't admit it. If you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping money or fame or something. And I think that what stories you tell is going to be the mythology you pass on. And whichever one is mimetically able to be replicated the fastest and gives people the greatest advantage will be the religion that will win. That's a really interesting thought. You know, I've always kind of, you're totally right on that, where in my eyes, religion has been, it's not like I, I'm not like a hater of religion, but I, I think that it's, it, it's, it's been a great guidebook for people. It really is so full of lessons. Like the Bible is full of amazing lessons. Like those lessons should stay forever. Don't cheat, don't lie, don't kill people, like things like that, that totally makes sense. And I think that, you know, my theory is that back, you know, back in the days when religion was created, you needed some type of a way to govern people. And if you can't, you know, if, if I don't have uh, cops everywhere, what's the one way that I can govern you, even though when you're not, when you're not even being watched is if you think that another person's watching you from above. So I think that the lessons in there are amazing. So I could totally see something happening in, you know, whatever, 50 years or something where it's, we're still taking those same lessons. Because those lessons, I think, I've never met personally uh, an, a bad, like, you know, mean, hateful Christian or like religious person. Like me personally, I haven't met that. They've always been awesome, super kind people that you can hang out with and they're super nice and friendly and et cetera, et cetera. So I think we can still, you know, uh, raise people like that and, and kind of develop those qualities in people without, you know, without having to kind of, you know, what you were saying where we don't have to have this, this mythical energy, possibly mythical energy kind of surrounding it. It could be, you know, like the human handbook and everyone should just follow this type of thing. It's going to be an interesting thing. I know that, uh, the, the story that rocked my world was, you know, the one that we all know the most clearly the Adam and Eve story. Right. And I was listening to this, um, kind of internet philosopher, Yosha Bach, talk about it. And he said, imagine that the Garden of Eden is actually describing something that we still have today. It's childhood. And a parent decides that they don't want their child to be scandalized by the things that they should be afraid of, the things that could get them, the all the bad things. You keep them in this space and you're teaching them to name the animals so that that way they know their place in the world. And that and that um, when you when when God cast Adam and Eve out of the out of uh, the Garden of Eden, what you're really doing is you've lost your childhood, you've lost your innocence, and now you have to face the rough world. And I heard that and I was like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, right. Yeah, like, I'm sitting here like, "Hold on." <laughs> I like how could I have heard that story <laughs> a million millions times. of times and never took that meaning away from it. But as soon as you say it, I realize that is exactly what I'm trying to create for my daughter. So there's yeah. something about those stories that will live on beyond us. And and so that's my Peter Thiel paradox. I, I believe religion is coming back in a big, big way. That's a big one, man. That's a I think that's a really great, great uh, argument for it. Because I, I got to admit, when you first said it, I was on the opposing factor. And now I'm like, all right, I can see it. Because I think I was looking at it with a different lens of like looking at it, like how religion is today. But you're totally right that, you know, religion is just right what you strongly believe in and, and kind of like what you base your, your life around. So that could be some religion of money. I mean, now there's like weed churches in California. Have you heard about that? <laughs> no. There's churches. There's churches in California where you just you just smoke a bunch of weed basically. And you're like, your, your religion is, is tied in with, with the, with the plant and hemp and, and yeah, dude, I mean, your, your, your priest is like just a fucking dude just smoking a joint and that exists out here. So it's, I mean, it is interesting how with religion, right? If you can, there's all these different churches and really like, even if you look at the definition of religion by governments, I don't know what the exact definition is, but it's not about, you know, anything can be your belief, weed or maybe Scientology or whatever. So, yeah, that's going to be a interesting one. You know, I think especially with, especially how all these like thought leaders and stuff are coming out now, I think we're going to see a, a couple of interesting cults <laughs> come, come out of the, like the next like 20 years. No Just doubt about that. There's know. no doubt. And I think the tech uh, oligopolies are making it 
much more likely that we're going to see uh, bad cults come. Because as you start saying, hey, you're not allowed to talk about these things in public, that doesn't mean people aren't going to talk about it. It just means they're not going to talk about it in front of you. And so yeah. that makes it so there's like no, there's nobody being like, hey, the crazy person. I don't think that's exactly right. And instead you get clusters of people. So yeah, cults are coming too, man. Well, religions yeah. are cults anyway, like all of them are. They just like when you when you transcend from being a cult to a religion is when you become you're so big that you become accepted. Wow, that's I guess I didn't know if that was uh, like PC enough to say something like that on your podcast, but I'm glad you said it because I agree with you. I do think I, I totally agree that you know religions are a little bit like cults. So, and I think that's kind of been you know my personal my my two cents. I've kind of always. I think that's why I'm, I do what I do. And that's why I'm, I'm kind of the way that I am. I don't like to be, I like to go against the grain. I never really liked, for example, everyone would skateboard when I was younger. I wanted a rollerblade at the skate park, you know, like I wanted to get my hair spiked and not, I don't know. I just, I always want to go against the grain and I don't want to just be like another sheep. So I think that's oddly enough how I've shaped some of my life, like religion. Everyone around my life liked religion. I'm like, well, fuck that. I'm going to do the exact opposite. I don't want to do that. Everyone went to college and got a degree. I'm like, fuck that. I'm dropping out. I'm going to start some social media company. So I think that just kind of how I live my life where I like to, you know, it's probably going to get me into trouble sometime along, along the way. And I'm sure it already has, but yeah, I think I have this little knack for like wanting to go against the grain and kind of, I don't know, be different, you know, so. Well, you're going against the grain is what brought us together. And I had a really fun time talking with you, Casper. So if people wanted to uh, learn more about nowadays or, or check you out, how would they go about finding you? Yeah, uh, our website is nowadays.media. So there's no .com, it's just .media. <laughs> uh, and I guess really that's the best way to check us out, man. You know, you can follow me on Twitter, K-A-S-P-A-R-C-M-S. Uh, but like I said earlier, I don't really tweet too much. So kind of stay stay off of those. But no, man, I had a blast, man. Thanks for having me on and thanks for reaching out. Uh, you know, I, I always like these enlightening conversations where we kind of go back and forth and kind of, uh, you know, explore explore different possibilities and different thoughts that I probably wouldn't have thought of. So now I'm, I'm going to go and think about what you told me about religion and kind of dive into it more. So no, well, man, that was great. This is a lot of fun, man. Thanks, Casper. Yeah, nice meeting you, man. See ya.